So I want to open with a question. Who in here has siblings? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Like, literally everyone. Okay. Who in here has younger siblings? Okay. A lot of you guys. Okay. So this question I also want to pose for you guys is, why do we struggle to love someone who has wronged us? Why do we struggle to love someone who has wronged us? And if you guys can join me, I'm going to read the passage. It is Matthew, 40, Matthew 5, 43 through 48 again. It says, You have heard that it was said, <clears throat> Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So then again, I want to pull up this question, why do we struggle to love someone who has wronged us? And when I asked myself this question, I was trying to think of a story, um, something in my life where someone offended me, someone wronged me, and I just couldn't love them back. And I struggled to forgive them. I struggled to love them. And I actually came to mind a story of my younger sister. Um, so this might hit home for some of you guys that have younger siblings. Um, so my younger sister, her name's Annabelle. And so just like me and Jonathan, we're really close in age. Uh, we're the two youngest, so we spent so much time together. Growing up, we, spent, we did everything together, whether that was her playing with her Barbies, me playing with my G.I. Joes, and us playing together, uh, or just going out and playing on the playground. We did absolutely everything together. So this had pros and cons to it, however. So there would be days where we were the bestest of friends. Um, but then there were some days where we just did not get along at all, and we butt heads quite a bit. Um, this still kind of happens today, but it's gotten better. But <laughs> um, in that, we would have some days, again, that we just did not get along. Now, Annabelle had a secret weapon, and her secret weapon uh, caused a lot of bloodshed and a lot of harm. Um, her secret weapon was her nails. Now, Annabelle, <laughs> when she would get upset, she would claw and she would scratch. So growing up, that was her thing. She was known for clawing and she was known for scratching. I literally have permanent scars, if you guys want to see it, on my arm from my sister scratching me. Um, I'm sure Jonathan has the same. So that was Annabelle's way of when she did not get what she wanted, she would claw, she would scratch. And sometimes when this would happen, I would be so mad that I would not talk to her for days. We literally lived in the same household and I would completely avoid her. I literally could not pull myself together to love her. I couldn't do it. I could not pull myself together to forgive her, to love her, because I would be so upset, and there'd be days that go by where we just wouldn't talk. Now, I'm going to tie that back in, and you're going to see why I brought this story up. Because in this passage, Jesus contrasts between what is being said in Moses' law, which is, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this command, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, sounds pretty good to our flesh, right? That sounds pretty easy. Like, I can love someone that's close to me, and then my enemy, I'm okay with hating them, because that's what our natural flesh wants to do. But the contrast in Jesus' application is the complete opposite, which is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Meaning that this love should go well beyond just your neighbor. Which this word neighbor is frequently used in Old Testament referring to community or of your own people, meaning your best friends. Uh, Think about who your best friends are. Think about your siblings if you're really close to them. Um, These would be considered your neighbors, right? The people closest to you. This would be considered your neighbors. Again, Jesus is telling us, though, that this love should be extended also to your enemies. The word persecution in the times of this passage looks much different than how we would view it today as well. You see, there's a major difference between persecution and opposition. 
today, none of us are truly facing persecution. At least I hope not. I hope no one's coming after you guys trying to kill you guys. That would be a little rough. But a lot of us may face opposition. Opposition at work when someone doesn't believe what you believe in or you get into controversy at school or you have a bully messing with you at school. We may face some kind of opposition, but none of us are facing persecution. You see, but back then, this word persecution represented literal death. There was literally people coming and trying to kill them. So this word persecution represents literal death. With that being said, the statement for Jesus from Jesus to pray for those who are trying to kill you is a very hard pill to swallow. One thing I also want to point out is when it says pray for them, I'm not praying that like a neighboring army will come over and knock these guys out and take them out. No, I'm not praying that they wake up with bed bugs in their bed. No, what they're praying for is that their livestock is growing well, that their uh, cattle is growing, that their crops are growing, that their kids are healthy. Today, what that may look like is Let's say you have a bully at school. Someone's messing with you. You have opposition with someone else, and you are literally praying that they have a great day tomorrow. You're praying that they had the best dinner ever. You know, I pray that for Christmas he gets the Xbox he wants. Again, as you guys think about that, that is a hard pill to swallow. Why would we love someone who is doing the complete opposite towards us? You see, this mindset leads us to the core issue of selfishness, and it's our issue here. Our selfish pride often makes us feel like we deserve to be treated a certain way, that we deserve something, and when opposition is placed against us, we tend to react with the same motive back to them, similarly to how I would react to my younger sister when she would come against me. Our natural flesh desire is to react with the same motive back to them. We believe others deserve to be treated a certain way based on how they treat us. We tend to love only those who love us back. Now, God's love, however, highlights grace and forgiveness and that we are called to love even those who have wronged us. You see, just like the individuals who have wronged us deserve some type of retaliation, we too deserve a punishment for our sins. We too, become, before coming to Christ, were enemies of him. But then in steps grace. In steps God's grace. Romans 5, 7, 5, 7 through 10 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if all we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, we see the most beautifully portrayed example of this when Jesus went to the cross for us. As he showed grace and love to us, even to death on the cross, as he hung overlooking Calvary, and I want to give you guys a quick visual. As he hung overlooking Calvary, he was surrounded by his enemies. To the left, there was people who spat on him, who mocked him. In the middle, there was people who cursed his name, who yelled at him and whipped him in the back. To the right, you had people who put the crown of thorns on his head, again, spearing him in the side, mocking him. That's who Jesus was surrounded by, his enemies, people that mocked him. And in that moment, his love is displayed when he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I want to read 1 Peter 2, 
21 through 24. And it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We can love because he first loved us. You see, he set the example. Now, you guys may be sitting here listening, and you're like, okay, I get it. I get it, Sway. We have this issue, right? Our sin nature and our flesh only wants to love those who love us back. I also get it that Jesus sets the example. Jesus loves unconditionally, and it's beautifully portrayed here on the cross. But you also may be sitting here and be like, well, I'm not Jesus, right? How am I supposed to do that? How do we do this? How do we apply the same love that Christ demonstrates towards us? We do this by abiding in the vine. You see, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. In that passage, however, it does not say simply, go love more, go be more patient, go be more kind. No, the only command in that passage is to abide in the vine, and love will be the fruit of it. We are called to abide in the vine. We are called to abide in him, because love is selfless and sacrificial. You see, our flesh is selfish. Therefore, we cannot achieve the type of love God is calling us to unless we are being led by the Holy Spirit through abiding in him, through a relationship with Jesus. We are called to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, meaning he is the standard in which we shall live. If we are Christians or we are brothers and sisters of Christ, Christ should be the model of how we should be living our lives. It says to be perfect like he is perfect because his love is so perfect, we will never be able to reach perfection, right? Because we're sinful human beings. But our goal in life and what we should be striving for is to be more and more like Christ every single day. That should be our mission. He is the standard in which we should be modeling our life after. On our own, we love only those who love us. Christ and his perfection loves unconditionally. And that is what we should be striving for as we deepen our relationship with him. So let us abide in him. Let us always remember Calvary. Abiding in him as we display Christ's love to all. In order to love others, even our enemies, like God designed us to, we need to acknowledge and understand the depth of love that he displayed when he died on Calvary for you and me. Thank you.